Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. I sure have been encouraged by the time we've had to worship together this morning. I hope you all have been as well. I appreciate the songs that we've sung together and appreciate the prayers that have been led and, and the thoughts that we've shared together as we've thought about why we're here and what our Savior has done for us. It's been an encouraging morning. And I thank you all for being here. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles or keep them open, if you will, to Second Kings. We're going to look at a couple of different passages from 2 Kings 18, 19, and 20 this morning. So you can keep your Bibles open there, and we'll be ready to read in just a moment. This morning is going to be a little bit of a precursor to this evening. Both lessons are going to center around prayer. We're going to talk this morning about some lessons that we can take from the prayers recorded for us from Hezekiah in chapters 19 and 20 of 2 Kings. And then this evening, we're going to do something similar to something I did a few months ago on the topic of Bible study. I've reached out to a handful of people, and I'll give you more information about that this evening, and gotten some feedback from them as to some of the things that they have put into their own prayer life that they have seen great benefit from. Some best practices, if you will, some things that they have over time utilize to improve their prayer life and in so doing grow closer to God. And I'm going to share those with you this evening. And so both lessons are going to center around the idea of prayer this morning. Uh, Four points that are going to hopefully give us a better understanding of what prayer is and how it can be utilized in our lives. And then this evening, some very practical ways in which we can improve our prayer life as we seek to grow closer to the Lord. So that's the plan for today. So 2 Kings chapter 19 is where we're going to begin we're going to read just a, a couple of, of stories here about King Hezekiah. And before we do that, just to give you a little bit of background as to who Hezekiah is, it was read for us just a moment ago from chapter 18 as we were introduced to Hezekiah a little bit there. But Hezekiah served as king of Judah. And we were told there that he reigned for 29 years, which given the time period in which this took place, that was a fairly long reign for a king during that time. And he did, throughout the term of his reign, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. We read as he tried to lead the people back to God, he tore down some of the idols that they had been worshiping and some of the images that they had offered incense to. And in so doing, he went against his father, Ahaz, who had served prior to him and was a wicked man, one who led the people into idolatry, into many of the things that Hezekiah sought to undo. This was a man who served in his role to the best of his ability to glorify God and to lead the people back to him. And as a result, God spared the people of Israel, the people of Judah, during Hezekiah's reign. A powerful story and a powerful man that I think gives us a great deal of insight into what it means to be a servant of God. And as we're going to see this morning, what it means to have a fervent and vibrant prayer life with the Lord. And not only the impact that that can have on us personally, but the impact that it can have on those around us. So with that in mind, let's read a couple of verses beginning in chapter 19. I'm going to read these back to back, and we're going to skip over a few verses in doing so. I'm going to read beginning in chapter 19, verses 8 through 20. We'll skip down to verses 35 through 37, and then we're going to read a little bit at the beginning of chapter 20 as well. So I'll make mention of that as I go through. We're going to begin in 2 Kings chapter 19 and verse number 8. 
Then the Rabshakeh returned and found the king of Assyria warring against Libna. For he heard that he had departed from Lachish, and the king heard concerning Tirkara, king of Ethiopia, Look, he has come out to make war with you. So he again sent messengers to Hezekiah, saying, Thus you shall speak to Hezekiah, king of Judah, saying, Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you, saying, Jerusalem shall not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Look, you have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all the lands by utterly destroying them. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered those whom my fathers have destroyed? Gozan and Haran and Rezeph and the people of Eden who were in Telassar? Where is the king of Hamath, the king of Arpad, and the king of the city of Sephavar? Excuse me, I I really did practice some of these names, but I know I'm not going to say them right. Sepharvaim, Hina, and Iva. And Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Then Hezekiah prayed before the Lord and said, O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God. You alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he sent to reproach the living God. Truly, Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to the nations and their lands, and have cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they destroyed them. Now, therefore, O Lord our God, I pray, save us from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. Verse number 35. And it came to pass on a certain night that the angel of the Lord went out and killed in the camp of the Assyrians 185,000. And when people arose early in the morning, there were the corpses all dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went away, returned home, and remained at Nineveh. Now it came to pass, as he was worshiping in the temple of Nisroch, his god, that his sons, Adramelech and Sherezer, struck him down with the sword, and they escaped into the land of Ararat. Then Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. Verse number 20, beginning in verse 1. In those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amaz, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened, before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him, saying, Return and tell Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord. 
and I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant David. Then Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. So they took it and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. All right, let's talk about this just a little bit. What an amazing few passages that is. When you begin to think about what's taking place during the reign of Hezekiah, Assyria is climbing the ranks of world domination. They are going from nation to nation, city to city, laying waste to them. And given the historical time frame in which this is taking place, we're probably only a couple of years before they do that to the northern kingdom of Israel. And here's Hezekiah, king of Judah, watching all of this happen around him. Watching people be slaughtered. Watching a godless nation destroy everything in its wake. And here he is, responsible for the people of Judah. And he gets this letter from the king of Assyria, mocking him, taunting him. You've seen what we've done. You think you're going to be spared? All these other nations and all of their gods, have they done anything to spare them? And you think yours is going to save you? Try and put yourself in the shoes of Hezekiah. What would be going through your mind? What would be your next move? You could look around at the army that you have in Judah. You think it's going to look like anything that can take on the Assyrian Empire? You think your walls are going to hold up to their armies? None of the other nations have been spared. None of the other cities are still standing. What are you going to do? What's your next move going to be? As this world power squarely puts you in its crosshairs. What we see Hezekiah doing really shouldn't surprise us as we read about the kind of man that he is and what he's done during his time as king of Judah. Hezekiah takes the letter that was sent to him, and I'm sure all of the cares and emotions and stresses that came with that. And he went up to the house of the Lord, and he spread it before God, and he prayed. And then we see following that instance, as we read at the beginning of chapter 20, another life-altering event takes place, this time very personal to Hezekiah. As the Lord makes it known to him through Isaiah that your time on earth is nearing an end, that you're going to die, Hezekiah, and you need to set your house in order. Hezekiah wasn't an old man at that time probably in his 40s. And you get that kind of news. What's your next move going to be? Well, we see what Hezekiah's was. He turned his face to the wall, and he poured out his heart to God. And what did God do? He responded by extending his life 15 years. 
such an amazing story. Such an amazing story that, that really, in a lot of ways, centers around prayer. The, the reason that God spared the land of Judah was because of the prayer that Hezekiah offered. The reason that God extended the life of Hezekiah was because of the prayer that he offered. The events of world history changed because of prayer. There could be an entire, uh, entire another lesson simply based on what happens in the 15 years in which God extended Hezekiah's life. Hezekiah shows up in the lineage of Christ. And you know which son of his carries on that lineage? Manasseh. Manasseh wasn't born when Hezekiah was told he was going to die. Manasseh was born in those 15 years in which God extended his life and carried on the lineage that led to Christ. What an amazing, an amazing story that centers around prayer. And I think these two specific prayers that we see here from Hezekiah can give us so much information about what it means to pray and what prayer really is for a follower of Christ. And I've, I've got four things this morning that I, that I want to share with you. That list could be much longer, but I've got four things that I want to share with you that as I was reading this, they just jumped off the page to me and helped me helped me really appreciate prayer in a different light. As I thought about what it meant to Hezekiah and what it means to me as a follower of God today. So here's the first one. Prayer is a recognition of God's sovereignty. Prayer is a recognition of God's authority, his power, his supreme control over things. Look back in in chapter 19, in verse number 15, we read just a moment ago, in Hezekiah's prayer, what did he say? O Lord God of Israel, the one who dwells between the cherubim, you are God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made the heaven and the earth. God, all of these other quote-unquote gods from these other nations, they've all been destroyed because they're not you. And it was through prayer that Hezekiah reminded himself of God's sovereignty and God's power and his control. He is unlike anything and anyone else. There is no one else. There is nothing else that can spare them. Because he alone is God. Prayer reminds us of that. The very act of going to God in prayer and sharing with him our needs, and our cares, and our burdens, and our desires, and giving him praise, and glorifying his name, is an act of recognition of who he truly is. We are approaching God to help us in times of need, because we recognize, I can't do it myself, and no one else here can either. I appreciate all of you, and everything that you do to help and encourage me, But there are things that you are simply not able to do because you're not God. And so we pray to the one and only God. And in doing so, we remind ourselves of who he truly is. 
that he can change the course of human history. That he is the God over all nations. That he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. It would do us good as we pray to pray similarly as Hezekiah did here. To glorify God in doing so, but also to remind ourselves of who we're praying to. Hezekiah was in a position that none of these other nations had been in. I'm sure many of them, as they saw the Assyrians coming, they ran to their nearest God. (laughs) And they pleaded with them to save them. And one after another, they were destroyed. Hezekiah is in a unique position because he's not praying to one of those idols made with hands. He's praying to the God who spoke the world into existence. He's praying to the one who has supreme authority and power over it. Prayer is also an act of humility. Again, thinking about what Hezekiah said in verse number 19, or of chapter 19, excuse me. Now therefore, O Lord, our God, I pray, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you are the Lord God, you alone. O Lord, our God, I pray, save us. There was absolutely nothing that Hezekiah could do to save the nation of Judah. Absolutely nothing. Assyria was stronger, more powerful, more prepared, and the physical abilities and strengths of the army of Judah failed in comparison to what was facing them. And as king and the leader of that nation, he realized that there was nothing he could do. But that was not the case for God. And Hezekiah understood that. And by praying these words, he humbled himself before God and recognized that I am limited in what I can do. We live in a a country, in a society, in a time where humility oftentimes is frowned upon. It's looked at as a sign of weakness. Especially in America, there's nothing we can't do. There's nothing we're afraid of. The act of prayer humbles us before God. As we recognize our shortcomings, we recognize our limitations. Look in 1 Peter chapter 5. A similar similar concept is talked about there. In 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 6 beginning. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 6. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time, casting your care upon him, for he cares for you. 
Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and allow him to exalt you. That's exactly what Hezekiah was doing. He humbled himself before God and allowed God to exalt him. What happened to the armies of Assyria? 185,000 of them were killed without one sword being drawn. Prayer allows us, and it gives us the privilege to humble ourselves before God and align our will with his so that he can exalt us. I think one of the more powerful aspects of what we just read there in verse number 19 of chapter 19 is what Hezekiah says at the end, that all the kingdoms of earth may know that you are the Lord God and you alone. When we humble ourselves before God and we align our will with his, we are asking God to show his power and control. I can't do it. You can't do it. God, you can So I'm going to humble myself before you. I'm going to put my cares and my burdens at your feet. I'm going to align my will with yours. And I'm going to allow you to demonstrate your power. If Hezekiah had prayed this prayer and then immediately gone out to assemble his armies and rushed out to try and fight the Assyrians, he would have destroyed the opportunity for God to demonstrate his power. But it was because Hezekiah prayed this prayer and humbled himself before God. And pleaded with God to demonstrate his power. It was because of that that 185,000 Assyrians were killed and they went home. Prayer gives us an opportunity to humble ourselves before God. To align our will with his and allow him to demonstrate his power in this world. Third, it provides us an opportunity to be vulnerable. I use that terminology specifically. It provides us an opportunity to be vulnerable. I don't, I don't, I'll speak personally. I don't want to speak for anybody else here. I don't often see vulnerability as an opportunity. That, that's what happens when I've got nothing left. That's what happens when I don't have any more moves to make. Then I become vulnerable at that point. But I think the example that we see here from Hezekiah, and I think what God wants from us as his children, is to see prayer as an opportunity to be vulnerable with him. In chapter 20, when the the health of Hezekiah was was called into question, and his days were numbered. And Hezekiah prays to the Lord. He didn't ask God to extend his life. He didn't plead with him to to help him during this time. What did he do when he turned to the wall and prayed? He said, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. This is the king of Judah. 
the king of Judah crawled into his bed, turned his face to the wall, and wept bitterly to God. That's about as vulnerable as it gets right there. We don't expect our leaders to behave like this, right? We expect them to be confident in the face of danger. We expect them to stand in front of us powerful and prepared no matter what comes their way. There's a time and a place for that. There's also a time and a place for a follower of God to turn their face to the wall and to cry to him, to bear our soul to him, to be vulnerable to him. Healing comes from that. The relationship between us and God will be deepened in moments like that. Hezekiah didn't have to ask God to extend his life. God simply had to look down on his child, see the emotion that he was dealing with. The sadness, the pain, whatever it was that led him to this moment, he saw a vulnerable and open follower of his, and God acted on his behalf. I don't mean that we all have to go home and spend the afternoon in our beds crying. But I would also say, let's not avoid those moments. Let's not shy away from those moments. Let's not try and keep those moments at arm's length. Let's embrace those times. Let's embrace the times where fear overwhelms us, where stress weighs us down where we're unsure about what the future will hold. And let's use prayer as an opportunity to bear our souls before God and to truly be vulnerable with him and allow him to see the emotion that we're feeling and to truly put our cares at his feet. It's what the psalmist said in Psalm 55 and verse number 22. Cast your burden on the Lord. He shall sustain you. That's what God wants from his children. What an incredible offer that is to us to cast our burdens at his feet, to put our cares on him. That requires a level of vulnerability on our part. Hezekiah, I think, is a wonderful example of just how important that is and the opportunity that prayer provides us to do just that. Lastly, I want us to consider how we think about prayer in light of how Hezekiah prayed. I'm sure we've, we've probably all heard this or probably even said something along the lines of, well, all we can do now is pray. And I understand what, oftentimes what we mean by that, but, but I do want to caution us just a little bit Because there is a sense in which that type of verbiage as it pertains to prayer can come with a sense of resignation. That, well, I've done everything I can do. All I got now is prayer. I want to challenge challenge that way of, of thinking. 
I think Hezekiah certainly challenges that way of thinking, and I think God would certainly want us to challenge that way of thinking. When Hezekiah got this letter from Sennacherib, what's the first thing he did? He went up to the temple and he laid it out before God. He didn't go meet with his generals. He didn't go seek counsel from from those with the armies. He He didn't draw up battle plans to work from. No, the first thing he did is he took it and he laid it out before God. Because prayer isn't a last resort. When we think about our battle with Satan, prayer should be the first bullet we fire because it's the most powerful weapon we've got. That should be the first thing we do. It's easy for us to think about the last resort. Well, I've completely completely done all I can do. God, now I'm just going to toss it up to you and hope for the best. That is not what God intends for prayer. When you face challenging times in your life, when you face happy times in your life, when you face sickness, when you face stress, when you face joy, train yourself to immediately take those things to God. That's where the power comes from, in the hands of the Lord. Prayer is the furthest thing from a last resort. And Hezekiah is a great example of that. When Assyria is knocking on his door, the first thing he does is go to God. When he receives bad news about his health, Isaiah doesn't even get out of the courtyard before Hezekiah has already taken his cares to God and God has responded. Train ourselves to be the kind of people who see prayer as the very first line of defense. It is the very first thing that we do. Because it is the most powerful tool that we have in our battle against Satan. As we bring things to a close, I want you to turn back to chapter 18, where our reading was this morning. As we tie all of this together and we bring the lesson to a close, I I want us to to kind of go back to the beginning with Hezekiah. Because it's one thing to think about prayer as, as a recognition of God's sovereignty, an opportunity for us to humble ourselves before God, an opportunity for us to be vulnerable, to not look at prayer as a last resort. But I want us to remember that none of this, none of this would mean anything in the life of Hezekiah if it wasn't for what we read in verses 5 and 6 of chapter 18. When we're introduced to Hezekiah, when we're told a little bit about who he was, verse number 5, he trusted in the Lord God of Israel, so that after him was none like him among the kings of Judah, nor who were before him. For he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him but kept his commandments, which the Lord had commanded Moses. Chapters 19 and 20 would have been a whole lot different if this wasn't the kind of man that Hezekiah was. Because I think the prayers that we read about in chapters 19 and 20 
show us that our prayer life, our personal prayer life with the Lord, will hold up a mirror to your current relationship with God. Your prayer life will hold up a mirror to your current relationship with God. The reason, the reason that Hezekiah went straight to God when his nation was threatened, when his own life was threatened, the the reason that he humbled himself before God, the reason that he was vulnerable before him, the reason that he exalted God as the creator was because he was a man who trusted in the Lord. Because he was a man who held fast to the Lord and did not depart from following him. He was a man who kept his commandments. That's the kind of man that Hezekiah was, and his prayer life was a reflection of that. And so as we close this morning, I want to ask all of us to give some thought to your prayer life. What does your prayer life look like? What does your conversation with God look like? Is it vibrant? Is it healthy? And if not, I want you to think about the fact that that's a reflection of what your relationship with God is like. We see that in every other relationship in our lives. My wife and I went days without talking to one another. You think that's a healthy relationship? Of course not. Everybody would see the problems with that. And yet it's so easy for us to think for a second, when's the last time when's the last time I really spent some time with God in prayer? When's the last time I really talked to him about what's on my mind? If you find yourself in that situation, if that, if that is what your prayer life is right now, I would challenge you to take a step back and, and to think, am I the kind of man that Hezekiah is described as being in chapter 18, verses 5 and 6? Is that, is that how I would describe myself? And if it's not, I would encourage us to make some changes. to to turn ourselves over to God, to align our will with his, to humble ourselves before him, to allow him to work in our lives, to either reestablish or perhaps establish for the first time the relationship that he wants to have with us. Because he is our God, ready to listen and wanting to have a relationship with each one of us. So if you're here this morning, and that's not how you would describe your relationship with God, or maybe you would say, I just simply don't have one at all, I would encourage you to think about that before we leave. I encourage you to think about that this afternoon. I would encourage you to take inventory of your prayer life and see what that says about the relationship that you have with God. Because at the end of the day, he is the one who can save us. He is the one who can exalt us. He's the one who's prepared a home for us in heaven. And he wants us to be his child.
we can help you with that this morning, please come to the front and let us know as we stand and sing.